I'm a 25 year old. I used to work in banking at M&A. I made like low six figures and it was a cool job, but I recently quit after listening to you guys. And now I own a, a bunch of vending machines and it's allowed me to make 10 grand a month and uh, do a bunch of running. And he said, quote, do memorable things, which is what you guys talked about at the end of the pod. This is pretty amazing. All right. I think we're good. We good. Dude, Sean, thanks for dressing up. You look nice. All right. So for those who can't see the YouTube video right now, Sam is like in some kind of like, uh, I don't even know where he's at. He's in some kind of like L.A., some kind of Playboy Mansion podcast studio. I don't even know what's going on. Not a single wall is normal. One of them's like a 3D texture. One of them's got like a plant from, you know, the, the Amazon jungle. And he's got like five people there. He's got like a movie crew. Somebody just came and powdered his nose. I don't know what's going on. I'm still in my bedroom and I recently woke up. So, you know, we got a little yin and yang going. Thunder Why don't you and explain what you're wearing, Sean? A I'll say a, sleeve, I'll, a I'll sleeveless wear hoodie. <laughs> no, what Sam calls shirtless. <laughs> if Sam sees a shoulder, he has like a minor panic attack. <laughs> it just, uh, you know, I've, it's something. Dude, we can't it's all something. dress like Arthur. so i was hoping that if i came here so i came here the other day to record a podcast with this guy named danny and i came here i go i called ben like right when i was there i facetime i go ben book this for like in three days this is where we're going to record from now on and i was like if if we do this here maybe it would inspire sean to like record with more than just (laughs) one airpod in his iphone and a plant in the background and maybe we can make something happen so hopefully i'm gonna wear off on you and we'll, you'll do it right on your end because I think we'll get more views on YouTube finally. Yeah, the last time I felt this much peer pressure, I ended up, you know, on shrooms. And so hopefully this just ends better. But I do feel the pressure now. I will find, you know, I don't even know. What is this place that you're at? You give them a shout out. So what is the name of a place? It's Actually, called w- you don't say their name, but what's it called? WF Media? WTF, w- WTF Media. I can't, that guy, you know, that guy, that guy Danny, you were on his thing too. He's been emailing yeah, he used me forever. to work for me. Oh, really? Okay, cool. Well, I came on his thing and I came here and it was awesome. I think we paid a couple hundred bucks. I don't remember to be here. And I think this is the, actually the same studio that Andrew Schultz and Charlemagne, I think, record their thing, right? Yeah. Right. And it's like pretty easy. So I just took, you know, rode my scooter here <laughs> and, and did it. <laughs> just like Charlemagne the God does. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's, let's, uh, let's jump into some stuff. You have some topics. I got some topics. Where do you want to start? We got a bunch of different ways we can go. Wait, we got to do this. uh, Did you see this email that I got from this uh, listener? No, where? Okay, so I forwarded it to you. So basically, uh, we were talking about like adventurous shit last time. And this guy emailed me and let me pull it up. So basically, he said, he goes, all right, uh, you you wrote, you guys talked about like living an adventurous life. I wanted to write you and, and fill you in on what's going on. I used to be 230 pounds and like pretty overweight. But then I started running and I uh, started listening to you guys the whole entire time while I would run. In fact, I did a 50 mile race and I only listened to MFM the entire time (laughs) and I've lost a ton of weight. And now next week I'm doing a hundred mile race and I intend to listen to you guys the whole time as well. And I'm a 25 year old. I used to work in banking at M&A. I made like low six figures and it was a cool job, but I recently quit after listening to you guys. And now I own a, a bunch of vending machines and it's allowed me to make 10 grand a month 
and uh, do a bunch of running. And he said, quote, do memorable things, which is what you guys talked about at the end of the pod. This is pretty amazing. I forward it to you. It's, that's, that's a good story, right? Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. There's no secret formula for customer service, but there is an all new service hub from HubSpot and it's bringing service and support together in one platform so you can deliver the best experiences possible. You can free up your customer support reps time with an AI powered help desk so you can easily support and grow your customer base. The secrets out service hub is a game changer. Visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn more. Yeah, dude, that's my my version of torture though. Like having to run 50 miles while listening to my voice in my head. That would be like that would be like, you know, worse than waterboarding for me personally. But dude, props to this guy. This is amazing. Uh you know, fitness got influenced by you. Listening to the pod got influenced by both of us. You know, did the vending machine side hustle that we had talked about, got to the 10k a month and now he has the freedom. He's thinking about doing short-term rentals. I think this might be your best friend. I think it's you might great, have right? just found an adult best friend. Yeah, this is my little brother, man. I like this guy. His name's Jack. So I, I saw that email and I was like, we got to bring that up. That's a good one. But um, this is, he ended it with hashtag do things. And I like that. I like do things. That's the serious version of no small boy stuff, which is the official motto of my first million. Uh, no, very it's good. cool. I like that. All right. Where do you want to go? Which good job, one? Jack. Jack. Yeah, good job. Jack, Jack Nurmer. Good job. Um. I want to tell you about an idea that I saw recently. I, I'm thinking I'm going to invest in this, uh, but it's kind of just like one of these really low key, doesn't even seem like a business things, but I think it's going to be kind of big. So have you ever been on YouTube and seen this thumbnail of like this kind of anime character wearing headphones and it says lo-fi chill beats study music? Have you ever Dude, seen they that? They kill it. They have they run it on live, like YouTube Live, and there'll be hundreds of thousands of people on it. And I think <laughs> like the other day, it like was paused for like a few minutes or something like that, and it was in the news, right? It got banned, and then it got unbanned after one hundred and thirty-three thousand people like signed a petition to be like unban this right now. That's crazy. But okay, and what about it? So let me tell you about it. So LoFi, basically, the channel has ten million subscribers. It's one of the most like sort of longest watch time things on YouTube because people would just sit there for hour, hours studying and just having this as background music. They have a discord of 700,000 people. They have their own. Talk about? Well, it's just people that are chilling. It's people that want to, people that are trying to study, they're trying to focus and they just want to be in a group of other people doing the same thing. It's like a virtual study hall. So this is kind of like an emergent behavior. It's just a thing that started happening. It's not what YouTube was trying to do. It wasn't, you know, some company that started right away. It's just kind of like this thing that people wanted. Like, oh, you know, like I had this when I was in college. My buddy would, it's like, oh, hand him the aux plug because his music is good for us to just chill, do nothing to. It's not going to be distracting, that sort of thing. And he would kind of be the DJ. So this is like a thing now. And I found, uh, but but it's still like kind of informal. It's on YouTube. It's not really like easy to use in that sense. Like, you know, you, know, you don't know who these other people are. You can't do a private room, that sort of stuff. So there's a startup called Studyverse that is trying to do this. And what they did was they basically turned this into like its own experience. So me and me and Ben use this now when we work. We basically go into Studyverse and you go in and there's like a jukebox basically. So you can just put on yeah, like chill hip hop style music or chill electronic style music or whatever. And both people are hearing the same thing at the same time. You could turn your camera on or off if you want to just be there, microphone on or off. 
And uh, you can like put your to-do list there and other people can see it. And as you knock them out, it makes a little sound. So you can see other people knocking off their to-do list. Uh, there's a little chat. And so, and you can just set the background. So you can be like, let's just give the, yeah, well, yeah, we're working remote. We're, uh, you know, like I'm in this little home office here, nothing too grand, but you could just set the scene. Like, now what if we were by the beach or what if we were, you know, in space or wherever you want? So it's just a cool little product. Um, and they're going after this use case of virtual study hall, people getting together to study, hang out or work. Uh, but it's really around studying, I believe. And this is like a big deal. There are millions of students every day who do this and they do it with strangers. They're not, they're not necessarily hanging out with their friends. They, some do, but a lot of people just want to feel like they don't want to feel kind of alone and bored when they study. And so just having any other people chatting or they see their screen names, they see their profile pictures, it just makes them feel less alone when they're doing it. How does and this make money? I think this is going to be big. So the, the lo-fi, uh, the lo-fi thing on YouTube, I don't know if they just run ads, they just monetize that way. I'm not hundred percent sure. I know they also have like the music is their own music. They have lo-fi records. So it's all copyright free, which is kind of cool. Um, Cause that would be the other problem if you try to do this commercially. And, um, but for these guys, I think they'll probably have some premium version or some uh, upsell or so. I don't know what they'll do to make money. Like the main thing right now is can they get to like a million students a day who are studying with this thing, which is like at that point is pr pretty valuable to be the hub where a million students a day are spending like multiple hours. It's basically did what Discord funding? did. They raise money now, yeah. So, so I'm investing I'm like, in this thing. Um, you're doing a, it. Not a ton. Yeah, I'm gonna do it. This it, it gives me heavy like Twitch vibes in a in a way where I'm like, it's kind of a behavior that doesn't really make sense until you start to think about the use case and like, yeah, that would be fun actually. But there's thousands like, of them. I just googled it. There's so many of them. What like virtual study halls? Yeah. Yeah, there, there are, I don't think there's thousands of them. There's one serious competitor that's like been around for a little while. Uh, I forgot what it's called, but they have study like, together. they're close to that point. Yeah, I think it's study together. I think that's the one. Um, they have a million people in their community. And, uh, and, and so, you know, these guys are trying to build like a better user experience than that. Um, so this, this I, I think it, that this could it's be on big. study together. It says that there's uh, 30, 34,000 people concurrently online. So at the hustle, we are getting, let's say that we are getting two or three million monthly uniques. Basically, that means that, which is like two to three million a month is pretty good. If it's the right niche, you can make like, you know, a million a month off two to three million people a month if it's the right one. And at any given point, we would have 2,000 people online. Like it, it really would never get, maybe occasionally you would get to 3,000 and 4,000, but virtually never. And the fact that this has right. 33,000, that's pretty insane. Yeah, that's right now. I mean, it, it, I don't even know if school, I think it's like still summer for for people that they're not even like in school right now. And if you are in high school or, or anything else, like you're, you're, you know, it's the middle of the day. You can't be doing this while you're at school. So this is only going to be like college or summer school right now. I bet this number could be three times as high for them during like kind of peak seasons, um, it, it, you know, definitely. So, so I think that's kind of amazing. And, you know, like, you know, whether they sell, you know, like little emotes like Discord did, like Discord makes millions and millions of dollars off of just their, like their super emoji that you can have. Or, really? uh, you know, you, yeah, that's Discord's business model is <laughs> you pay $6 a month or something like that for Discord Nitro. And all it gives you is like your, your little, your group can have its own emoji. Like you can upload your own emoji and you could use the premium emoji that they have. And uh, same thing with Twitch, like people subscribe for five or six bucks a month to a, um, 
a, a Twitch channel and like, it's not like they couldn't just watch it for free. They can watch it for free too. They do it to get a little badge that says I'm, I'm a paid like patron of this person's channel. And secondly, they get to use the custom emoji of that channel. That's the, right. really the only perks. Like sometimes it's subscriber only chat, but, but that's not usually the case. And so, um, so yeah, you, I think you could get pretty big with something like this. Uh, but I think it's one of those like, uh, under the radar niches. Most people don't even really recognize that this is a niche. So I think this is a cool idea. I'm That's excited cool. to see how it does. We talked about it before. Um, all right, let me run something by you because you you just actually have been talking about this. So check this out. So you know who Scott Galloway is? Of course. The right, uh, so Professor for those G, who, Prof G. Yeah, for those who don't know, there's this dude named Scott Galloway, popular on Twitter for making all these like tech takes and he gets made fun of for being wrong a lot, but he takes a lot of swings. So he's going to be wrong a lot. But basically, he started this company called L2, which I think he sold for like 200 million bucks. So he's like really successful already, whatever. And he's got this new thing called Section 4, which I think is just like courses. But dude, check this out. So New York Times, it said, Mr. Galloway, who is already wealthy from selling two companies and taking a third public, also makes more than $5 million a year from speaking gigs. He said, largely from corporations and industry groups that pay him $50,000 a year or $50,000 for a virtual event and $250,000 for an international event. I should be broken up, he joked, which is pretty funny. But that's... That's a ridiculous <laughs> amount of money for speaking. That is huge. How 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 does that work? Because I know that you were talking about like it, it has <laughs> to all be it has to all work from uh, book sales, right? Or for you know just like being no, a New York Times bestseller. Yeah, I think it's like a combination. It's like you just you're in people's face enough with like you know you you sound polished because you know they have a podcast. They have uh, he's got his blog, which is pretty famous. He's got, he's been, he's been doing this for like, he's been doing this forever, dude. I feel like this guy's been publishing content for like 10, 15 years, at least something like that, dude. Isn't, isn't that right? He's not like some, some new no, guy. No, he's not just a guy. I mean, he's, 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 he's great. You know, he's good and he's hilarious. I listened, I was at a, when I was in Germany, he spoke, he was very good. And like, I've hung out with him. He's a really nice guy and his shtick online. I don't always agree with a lot of his takes. And I think that sometimes he's unnecessarily a, a hater, but without a doubt, incredibly entertaining. When he, when he does talks, like he's got a little bit of like a comedy shtick on there. He's kind of like a little F you. And he like says like hilarious jokes about him being like old yeah. and like bald and stuff. He's hilarious. He's good. And this is that, but that's so much $5 million a year from speaking is like the equivalent of having like $50 million, $5 million <laughs> a year of income is, is, is astronomical. You know what I mean? What? It, is What's a, funny about it, that? Is. It, it really is. Well, just it's true. It's like it's funny that it's uh, it like it's funny that you're absolutely right. That is an absurd number to be making in speaking fees. Every you're year like a pretty good NBA player at that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you're just like giving a, like, a presentation on. You're using PowerPoint. And often, and by the way, it's for, the same presentation. It's the same one. You can do it for 15 years. You know what I mean? It's like in your free time a little bit. Uh, this is crazy. It, it, I just I heard that number and I was like I, I couldn't believe it at first because it is it's it's an astronomical number. Hey, let's take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor. It is a podcast that we want you to check out. It's called D2C Pod. It's hosted by Ramon Barrios and Blaine Bolas. It is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. And this is a podcast about all things direct-to-consumer, D2C. It's e-commerce stores. It's how you optimize your brand. And they're talking with founders, marketers, and the platform creators about all kinds of things that you need to know for D2C. You know, website conversion, paid ads, Facebook ads, consumer trends, email marketing, 
If you want to know the stories behind your favorite brands, this podcast is for you. They did an episode recently about scaling creator growth and influencer incentives. I thought it's pretty cool. So check it out. Listen to DTC Pod wherever you get your podcasts. How much does like David Blaine make? Because Prof-, Prof G is basically like inviting a magician to your conference. It's like, oh, here's the entertainment. Uh, we all know and love this guy, Scott Galloway. He comes on, he kind of does his little routine and he entertains you. And like, that's the that's what he's getting paid for is to be kind of like a name people recognize, adds legitimacy to the event and um, and, you know, provide some entertainment. That's not like completely off the wall circus stuff. It's like, well, this will be entertaining, but it's still relevant. But here's to the thing. Here's the rub. His pod, it, it, it gets it's two times the size of ours. So we get like between we get like in the hundred thousand, sometimes more, sometimes a little less uh, range per episode downloads per episode. He's at. Two hundred fifty thousand. So That's in my Kara head, Swisher and him, or who is yeah, that? yeah. That I I don't know what it's called, but it's like him and Kara Swisher. It's on. I don't even fucking know what it is. Recode. Uh, it was like Recode or whatever. Now something, it's something else. And in my head, I'm thinking, I'll take half that, right? I mean, well, <laughs> we got to be doing this. <laughs> I'll do you one better. I, I'll take a third of that. <laughs> I'll undercut Sam. <laughs> it's and, good. And though, I right? will. I will. Di- How I will often do you get asked stage, to do whatever this. the hell you want? How often do you get asked to do it? Uh, I don't get asked that often. I, I don't get asked that often. The number is always good whenever I do get asked, but I don't get asked that often. Um, and also, I'm not really that interested in doing this because, like, you know, for this you got to travel a bunch uh, to do it. I think to do it well, you got to travel a bunch. I don't think people are going to. Dude, pay but that you wouldn't take you your kids Zoom. with you on like a trip somewhere. Not right. You don't now, want to dude. see Kansas City, like, bro. That's a... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, uh, no, I do not want to. I do not want to take the, the, the phrase "take my kids somewhere" is like already. You know, the price just went up. Uh, it, it, so, so no, I wouldn't want to do that now. But yeah, later in life, yeah, that'd be great. So, by the way, funny you mentioned Scott Galloway. There's a couple things people should know. Number one, he's very entertaining, great at content. Number two, his business takes are pretty awful for the most part. He's been wrong, famously wrong many, many times. In fact, somebody created the the anti-Professor Galloway index or something. What's that website called? Where it literally yeah. just says anytime he says to buy or sell something, if you just did the exact opposite, here's how you'd be doing. It's like he's down X percent. You know, S and P five hundred is up Y percent, and this is up like double the S and P five hundred. So you would have uh, outperformed it, the market. It's the website's bet against the professor introducing the anti Galloway index. And what is the stats? What does it say? How does he done, or how is the thing done against him? So his worst prediction was that he said that May. <laughs> I think he said that like Macy's <laughs> was going to like outperform Amazon. So like not that good. And then he also said that uh, he also said that um, Tesla was a bad bet. So, like, I, I don't know, I even know how to use it. So let's see. Um, since October 2019, tech companies that have that the professor has predicted would fail have outperformed the S and P and seen a whopping 61% return. So you would have made yeah. 61%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that's really funny. Whoever did that, uh, I, I do appreciate that. Uh, last thing is, so so I just talked to a guy yesterday about this course business. So so he's got this thing, Section Four. And I was like, dude, how much money does that make? He goes, actually, I kind of like, I've been, you know, I'm in that same niche. So I've been doing research on it. Here's what I think. So here's what he thinks. He goes, he's got, I think section four does like 14 million a year in revenue. They've raised like 
37 million dollars they just did some layoffs because you know yeah um and he's basically like you know that's an average of a thousand dollars a year per learner um you know 30 percent discount let's say it's 700 dollars, and he has twenty one thousand people uh you know paying paying to learn um or something like that maybe 2.1 is what that was supposed to be i'm not sure but uh but yeah that's kind of like kind of crazy then he was like you know also reforge you, you know reforge it was like the yeah uh, if i like had section guess, four is basically like some marketing school dude i would guess that reforge is in like the 18 to 20 range for revenue yeah do you know how much money reforge has raised how much i have no idea if this guy is right, Reforge has raised a total of $81 million, <laughs> which is just kind of absurd for, for what they're doing. But they did acquire some other marketing training company. So maybe they've raised a bunch of money just to buy something that had like established revenue and EBITDA. Um, so anyways, these little like marketing schools that people have created, like these can be kind of big. Like we should have, if we, if we wanted to monetize MFM, this would have been the way to do it is to just me and you create like our own marketing school. I'm pretty sure with our audience and like what we actually like, we've actually done this. Like we've actually done marketing to grow our businesses successfully owned and exited multiple businesses. Now uh, brought multiple businesses to this, to this like, you know, seven, eight figure in revenue uh, point. Like if anybody should be doing this, uh, this should be us, not, not these guys. Uh, but you know, who wants to go do that? I don't know. So let me talk, tell you about something that I question if I actually want to go do that, but I hear the numbers and they're amazing. So, uh, B2B media, so media companies that make content for other businesses. I was talking to this guy the other day, and <laughs> check this out. He's got this company called Aging Media, okay? They make newsletters for nursing homes. So I guess people who own nursing homes and people who own hospice, hospice care businesses. And it's like, I think only three years old, it's, or four years old. It's not a very old company. But he was telling me that this year they they'll do around ten million in revenue and like three or four million in EBITDA, and completely bootstrapped. And they have got forty employees. And if you go go to it's called Aging Media. Go to the website and look at their shit. It is so simple. It's such a straightforward business. And I see this stuff, and I'm like, oh man, I could totally do this for X, Y, and Z. And that's a small example. There's a bigger example. There's this company called Industry Dive. Industry Dive was just acquired like uh, a week ago, I think, or two weeks ago. They were acquired for $500 million. They do um, 100 and let's see, they were doing, where is it? They were doing $110 million in revenue. They're doing $110 million in revenue with 30% profit, 380 employees, 53 newsletters. Across those 53 newsletters, 2.5 million uh, subs. And pretty straightforward. Like, not... Not complicated, not necessarily easy, but not complicated and straightforward. Their content, I think, it's okay. It's just like, it's basically just bullet points. It's an email with bullet points of what's happening in like the restaurant industry or whatever. But these companies, right. the bar, I think, to be good is so low for B2B media because it's just like, you know, like it just mostly all sucks. They like think that like you have to write a certain way. But in the way they monetize and make money is so much better than a consumer media company. Because if you are a person who's selling software or whatever to a hospice care owner, like you, you only have a couple places to go to. And one sale gets you, you know, hundreds of thousands or maybe even millions in revenue, like a pretty huge number. And so like these 
guys, basically what they do, they have ads on their site, but they do webinars with a sponsor and like 15 people sign up for the webinar or the talk. It's basically like a podcast just like this, but you got to enter your email to get in. They give that email to the sponsor and that sponsor hopes to go and email the 10 people that signed up and uh, <laughs> like hopefully they buy their shit. And it's like 20 or 30 or $40,000 to charge for like getting those 10, 30, 50 leads. It's crazy. It, the bar is so low. Yeah, this this thing is crazy. They have um, their big like verticals or it's like they have waste dive. Waste dive is for the waste management industry. Then they'll have like far, like pharmaceuticals and then they'll have finance and then they'll have like, you know, these different uh, things. I think their biggest one. So marketing dive is 510 subscriber, 510,000 subscribers. Uh, Biopharma dive, 275,000 subscribers. Construction dive, 300,000 subscribers. HR dive, 450,000 uh, subscribers. And then they have just a bunch of others, you know, right? Utility dive, restaurant dive, retail dive is their, their, their biggest one, 700,000 subscribers. It's pretty crazy. This is not a media company, really. Like, you know, yes, they're a media company, but like the game isn't, are you good at making content? The game is, are you really good at acquiring users and like acquiring subscribers in this industry. I don't think and then, you like, have to be that good. If you're if you're like a D to C dork like you, like you don't have to be that good at this. Like because you're already pretty good at like trying to acquire a user for two dollars so you can make eight bucks. Like right. you're probably better, more skilled. You're just choosing like a less lucrative game. And here's why this is interesting. The guy who started Industry Dive, his name Sean. He previously was the president of another company called Fierce Markets, and they did this exact same thing. But they did it starting in 2005 or like 2002. And it was literally the same thing, but they just did a different, like slightly different industries. It had 1.2 million subs and it sold for hundreds of millions of dollars. The reason why this is industry, interesting is that it's the same shit over and over and over again. They just like kind of like have like a dartboard of like boring shit. And they just like throw a couple of <laughs> darts and like, yeah, 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 let's do that one. Yeah, uh, waste we'll management. do that one. And we'll, yeah, like that, it's, I mean, obviously I'm, oversimplifying this, but it, it's incredibly fascinating to me because the bar is so low to be uh, successful. Yeah. One thing I have noticed though, like, so I, I agree with you. This is uh, one of those blueprints. That's like a good blue, really good blueprints. Doesn't take like genius, doesn't take a um, ton of luck. And so, you know, in that sense, it's a good, good blueprint to go after. The downside is now that this is like, this game I think was really awesome. Like over the last 10 years, I think over the next 10 years, that window is closing. The same thing happened in D2C. Um, the same thing happened in dropshipping. The same thing. Dude, anytime, the blueprint so is, anytime the blueprint is easy, I think that when a company sells for $500 million doing something, there's a bunch of sharks like you and I who hear about this, go study their, their blueprint, and you get 15 new, like, aggressive people who now know how big the prize is for something like this and now have a blueprint to follow, all doing the same thing. I still think you could win, and some somebody will win. But it is, I would say, 10 times harder than it was over the last 10 years, in my opinion, because you're going to have that set of people. This is exactly what's going on in, in D2C, which is that cost of acquiring customers are going up. Why? Because people realized, oh, you could just do this with like, you know, pick a product, run this, run this Facebook ad blueprint, use Shopify, use Klaviyo. It's like this stack of like, I just need to do these six yeah, but there's things. There's so many more people doing that than this. There's so many more people starting deodorant and like, jewelry brands than there are this boring yeah, but, shit. but for those there's there you can have way more right you can have how many jewelry brands can the market hold it can hold a ton because people are going to have a bunch now if let's say that 
the industry newsletter, a way to find out what's going on in your industry. Um, how many is somebody, if I'm in the waste management industry, how many of those am I going to read every week? I don't know. Two. One or two, right? Probably one or two. Okay. Industry drive is one. Now everybody else is going to fight for two. And then if you're not going to go for waste management, you're going to go for the next best niche and the next best. Now industry drive's already done 20 of these niches, 30 of these niches themselves. Um, so other people are going to keep going for more and more of these niches. So you're going to get to the less valuable niches or the ones that are harder to acquire subscribers for, because you're all fighting for that same one or two spots. And so um, I think that still somebody will win, but it is way harder than it was when this, when the word wasn't leaked that, Oh, this, all oh, these industry newsletters can be that big. That's crazy. Right. I think you're, I think you're, you, you, you're giving people too much credit. I think that uh, not that many <laughs> people are going to get involved in this. It's just so much cooler when you're 22 to like, you know, like, What's that one kid who sells like sex chocolate? Like that's just so much more fascinating. What's that called? Tabs. Tabs. Chocolate that makes you horny. That's so much cooler to like everyone in LA than any of this. Yeah. Do you get some of that included when you rent the podcast studio space you're in? Because it seems like it should just be on the desk <laughs> in front of you. Of it. <laughs> All right. Let's do another thing. Um, okay. So I have one. So here's another kind of like what I'll call boring idea hidden in plain sight. Aunt Flo. Have you ever heard of this company, Aunt Flo? Wait, is it Aunt or Ant? Wait, you say Aunt? I say Aunt, but it's also okay. Aunt. Whatever. All right, but I not understand. the insect. Yeah, yeah, your mom's sister. Like, yeah, mom's. It. Yeah, exactly. That time of the month is it's the slang for that time of the month. So what these guys are doing, or these gals are doing, I don't know who's behind it. What they do is they go to a school or a company and they say, "Hey, uh, you know." Your restrooms need to be a little bit more female friendly here. So why don't we install this little like case that's going to dispense tampons um, and, you know, other kind of like female menstrual cycle products, any, anything that you could think of that goes in that, that, that category. We're going to install this dispenser and now you're just, your place is going to be more welcoming for, um, you know, for, for, for females that, that are attending your space. So maybe girls at school or university or in your company, whatever it is. And uh, they just made it sexy. So they this these kind of hygiene products already exist in bathrooms, but they're all like, we all know what they look like. They're that boring, you know, silver box that looks like, you know, if I open this up, am I going to get tools or a circuit breaker or like, you know, an, uh, what am I going to get out of this thing? It's hard to hard to really say. They just made it look good and feel good and like really nice packaging and design. And it's like, it's like the Tesla of these things that are in the bathroom wall. And they're doing great. So uh, let me pull up their numbers. So they have, I think, 900. Um, I don't know if I have all these numbers correct, but they have 900 um, orgs that are that are working with them. And basically you pay 300 bucks to install the thing. And then you pay like a $1,300 a year for tampon refills or pad refills. And so that's basically like $9,000 for a school with 20 bathrooms. Um, and and Think about that. There's just a lot of high schools. Like there, there are like, you know, I don't know, 15,000 high schools in the country. That's just high schools in the U S then you have colleges, then you have companies and uh, they just made it like a sexy d to product. Like the, the logo looks cool. The box looks cool. And now states are requiring some schools like in California, Colorado, Michigan, that you have to offer products for this. Um, and they do this, like, you know, for every 10 that we sell, we donate one to a menstruator in need. <laughs> like they have like a, a whole thing around it. It's like kind of crazy. Our software is the worst. 
Have you heard of HubSpot? See, most CRMs are a cobbled together mess, but HubSpot is easy to adopt and actually looks gorgeous. I think I love our new CRM. Our software is the best. HubSpot, grow better. I, uh, last year I was pitched like three different of these. When we ever, we did that vending machine pod, I had so many people reach out, like I'm doing like smart vending machine things or something like that. And, and a lot of them were, were like either tampons or like hygiene things or, or then they were like healthy food. Right. And I looked at all the numbers and most all of them were horrible. And the ones that were the best, they just sold Coke and M&Ms. Like just like normal, like everyone wanted to do this like one particular thing. But it's like, man, America just wants Coke and M&Ms. And that like crushed it. What, what are the numbers on this one? On track for 10 million in 2022. Uh, when did it start? Revenue. Um, so it tripled from last year. I don't, I don't know when they started, uh, but they, you know, now they're doing Princeton University, every Apple retail store, offices That's like Google, sick. Netflix, Disney, Twitter, Quicken Loans, a four-year contract for all K through 12 girls bathrooms in Utah. Like, why am I not investing in this? This is such a defensible business. Like once you get the contract, they're not going to have, again, they're not going to have two of these at the bathroom. And so like, if you're the brand that like looks good and you can like, sprint into market something like this will get i think to like 30 40 50 million in revenue for sure quickly Did they raise right. money i need to chase this down uh yeah they're they're raising money or they're they've already raised some money did um, you uh you ever seen those dick pills at like the counter at 7-eleven can't say i had yeah surely you have <laughs> like it's like a goat it's like toad. I forget what it's called. I don't called. go it's into like, 7-Eleven. I, I don't leave the house. I definitely don't walk into 7-Elevens and look around. Well, they're around, in these around. vending machines. They like It's like Viagra or something like that. It's like some type of like, I, I actually have no idea what it is, but it's like a, it's like an herbal supplement. And it's yeah, like, yeah, your wife was telling me about this. Got it. Keep going. <laughs> 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 you, you can have that one. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you ever think, who makes those and what are their business meetings like? <laughs> you know what I mean? Is it just like uh, a bunch of dudes like serving monster energy drink, like sitting around like, you know what I mean? Have you seen that? Uh, have the, you seen the, that? The whole meme meeting with... is just done over Xbox live. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like, yeah, it's just like we'll be uh, serving Mountain Dew and, and monster in order to like get this meeting started. I've always wondered what those things are like and how you could be proud making that crap. This is uh, way better easy. than that. It's not the same thing, but I, I've yeah, been this, thinking this, a lot about that. <laughs> Define a lot. How much have you been thinking about this? Well, like, like you, you know these. Um, uh, so we talked about uh, milk boys and like the send it thing, or what's yeah. it called? Full send. Full send. Yeah. And so many people reached out to me after that, and they go, they make money because they're sponsored by this crypto poker thing called Ro. What's it called? Roblet. You know what Rubet. I'm talking about? Rubet. And yeah. Steak. Yeah. And. I saw this video where they were talking about it and it does like tens of millions a month in sales. Like it's just like astronomical, it's just huge. And I was thinking, I was like, that's pretty cool. But I think that gambling, like I'm okay that it exists, but it's just not for me. You know, it's like, right. what do I always say? Like uh, cornrows and sleeve tattoos. It's cool that other people have it, not for me. And by the way, that's just, catching on. I did a meeting with somebody and they, I was like, oh, nice tat. They go, yeah, you know what Sam says? Cornrows and sleep tattoos. It's not for him, but it's for him. he's glad somebody. Yeah, it. it's I like, was I, like wow. <laughs> I, I I respect its right to exist, but you know it, it ain't for me. But these like these these businesses that do like let's say gambling, I'm like that's kind of like it's most likely a little bit shady, 
it's definitely not legal in America, but there's definitely, it's related to shadiness. Like it's in the same family. And I just wouldn't be proud doing that on a, I wouldn't be proud doing that on a daily basis. You know what I mean? Right. And that's why I was thinking um, about this. As somebody who spends a lot of time gambling uh, and has, you know, I ever tell you in college how we used to drive from North Carolina, where I went to school, down to South Carolina, a three-hour drive. Then we would board a riverboat casino that would that would sail into international waters, turn off the engines, and then let us gamble for four hours, and then it would drive back. And that's what I was doing as like a twenty-year-old. <laughs> how like, did you uh, lose? You know, I was playing poker once, and the guy next to me either fell asleep or died. And I was like, oh my God, like, what am I doing here? Why am I hanging out with these low lifes who are, this guy's like, this guy, you know, like those people whose nails go so long, they start to like corkscrew. Like this guy looked like that. And I was like, this guy hasn't moved off this boat in like a century and I shouldn't be here, but uh, Which was I couldn't, it? couldn't resist. Sleep or death? I don't know. I just left the table. I was like, I don't, I'm not going to tap this guy and find out. It's like Schrodinger's box. Is the cat dead or not? I, I didn't want to know. So, so I just left, but uh, yeah, lost a bunch of money doing that. So I don't know. I like gambling. I think it's cool, but also for sure, like it's not a business I would start because I feel like I don't want to start things where the end is me in a Netflix documentary. It's like, what is the percent chance I have to like be on the run at, at some point in this business venture? I don't really want to flee the country. Uh, I'm not looking to like, you know, find out that like, you know, we have a huge amount of like, you know, child pornography or, you know, you know, money laundering in my, my app. It's like, dude, I'm not here for the stress. Like, I'm not I'm not trying to do all that. And I don't need to make like a trillion dollars in a year doing this. Like the state guys, I, I, I told the story about them on the pod they do like 40 million a week in revenue. No way. They issued, I, I think, a. But how much is that, is that? What's that like net revenue versus gross? This is their take. Um, they forty a week did an eight. I heard they did an eight hundred million dollar dividend <laughs> to their because they can't sell the business. So I heard that they distributed like eight hundred million dollars. And I, mm-hmm. this could be this could be wrong, but I don't think it's wrong by like more than thirty <laughs> percent. So so that's pretty crazy. These these things. This guy. These guys are printing cash. These are the guys who bought that like. They didn't know who was behind it until some guy like a forty million dollar like home. a thirty six million dollar home. Yeah. yeah, and they were like, "How did this twenty six year old afford this?" And they're like, "Oh, he, what, he, what, how, where's the source of your wealth?" He's like, "I own Steak.com. Did people just we're based be, in correct? Did people just message you about what? And they told you that number. Whenever we talk about any of this crap, I get uh, yeah. so many the, messages. The, my same friend like who that. told me, yeah, my same friend who told me about them in the first place when I featured them on here, he was telling me about like, you know, their dividend and, and stuff like that. Rubet is also big. Yeah. These, these things are really big. Basically it's an online casino. And so like you take one of the best business models in the world, a casino, and you strip away the biggest costs of it, which are like, you know, the, the building, the giant building and having all this labor, uh, cause all the games are digital and there's the, the casino is digital. And now all you have left is the marketing cost to acquire customers and you can acquire customers from around the globe in their bedroom and they don't have to like fly to Vegas to do it. Right. It's a kind of an amazing model and like, it's pretty obvious why it's, why it's huge, but yeah, you you know, it's not for everybody. Um, all right. What do you got? Okay. I got, I I got another one. Um, I got a framework and then I have, actually I got two frameworks. I got one framework for, I got a quick one and a long one. I'll do the quick one first. I realized this the other day. I was like, um, so yeah, Brian, Brian Armstrong, the founder of Coinbase went on uh, Lex Friedman's podcast. Yeah, Lex Friedman was like, so like, what is, what is your startup advice? <laughs> what is your advice for starting a startup? It's like, 
it's one of those questions that as you know as an entrepreneur you kind of hate because you're like well it's like saying you know like what is a good life um so but he gave an answer he's he kind of broke it down he's like well there's like there's like two separate eras pre-product market fit and post and i was like that's i agree with that 100 percent. like the things the way life is pre and post is like important but like then he, okay so for lex you got to define like what is product market fit and like it's kind of hard to define product market fit. I don't know how you felt it for the hustle because you kind of went from events to like I feel like we never had it. Flashy blog posts to the newsletter. You don't think the newsletter had it? I mean, we got to we have two point five million people a day reading, so like I guess that there there's definitely something there. But like people, when my friends talk about it, they're like, "Oh man, it just started working." Like it never felt like it felt like a slog the whole time. It never felt like things were just working. I mean, do you feel that way with the Milk Road? It just seems like, like it. I guess maybe technically there's exponential growth because it's growing like two or three hundred percent a year. But it it wasn't like I can't keep up. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell you the frameworks I've heard about this. So one is uh, Emmett, who's the founder of Twitch. He said this once, and I I was like, oh, that sounds right. He goes. In a startup, there's a big period where it just feels like you're pushing a giant boulder up a hill and you're pushing and you're pushing and you're pushing. He's like, and then there is a point, if it works, where all of a sudden you're not pushing anymore, the boulder starts to roll down the other side of the hill. And now you have the opposite problem. You're running, chasing to try to catch up with it um, because it's rolling faster than you can keep up with. And uh, this is what other people say too. Like, you know, your customers are like demanding you know, you can't, you basically, you, you run out of inventory. People, are, it's flying off the shelves. Like these are the phrases people use to describe this feeling. And it's where it starts to feel like the market is pulling you rather than pushing. And so I've like, okay, heard that. I've experienced a little bit with our D2C brand where we would, but it's not like, it's not like this magical Eden where it never feels that way. It never feels hard again. Like that's kind of how it sounds in my head. It's like, oh, at some point, I'll stop pushing and it'll start like rolling by itself and I'll have to run and chase it. It's like it's kind of like starts and stops of that. It's more like like a mountain range where the hit, you go up and then down and then you climb the next mountain. It's a little higher and then down. Then the next mountain and down like that's how it feels like. So, for example, with the, with the with our e-commerce company, um, OK, getting the product made and getting it to market and getting people to first hear about our brand that was pushing the boulder up. But then literally as soon as it, like, I remember it went viral in like a Facebook group, people started sharing it and like enthusiasts of that category, they started sharing it. And so we all of a sudden, I remember like the third day we did like $3,000 in sales without like spending anything on marketing. And I was like, where did that come from? That was awesome. I didn't do anything. And like people started buying it. And by our second month, we ran out of inventory. Um, and we had a, we had a full, our third month, our sales sucked because we just had no inventory. So that was like what it felt like to pull. But then to get the business to grow even more. Well, that's, you know, like that magic, you know, sort of slowed down and sure people were still telling their friends, but I wanted to hit a bigger goal. So now I had to push again. So it's been kind of starts and stops with milk road. I said, I feel like the growth is pushing the boulder up a hill, but then I look at some numbers, like the number of organic people who like people who joined because they got referred the thing. It's like a really healthy percentage. I'm like, okay, so that means people are liking it if they're sharing with friends and um, the feedback, like the replies we get are not just like, Oh, that was a good one today. It's like they like they're using our own language and sense of humor. It's like they want to be yeah. friends with us. They're yeah, like, yeah, 
they're like, oh, you know, the milk was so hot this morning, it turned into butter. And like, you know, it's like, who said, who like goes into a product, uses it that day and then comes up with a funny review just because you kind of want to be boys right. with the people who are making it. Like that's, that shows that they really care in some way. And we get like hundreds of those a day. So, so that shows me it's working, but still to grow and fill the revenue slots, like that feels like a slog. Like that doesn't feel easy. That feels like very, very difficult. So, and so, I, um, so yeah, I, I don't have a good answer. I've seen it firsthand with two different people. So the first is I used to share this office uh, called Founders Dojo. You know, you it was uh, Dave Grossblad, a bunch of us when I was starting the company, uh, the hustle, and there was these two guys that were like the most stereotypical like Silicon Valley nerds. It was like a skinny Indian dude, and then this white guy that looked like this jock. He was like really good looking jock, but he was like the dorkiest dude ever. And they were partners, and it was a hilarious com combination. And they created this technology. That would basically, I have no idea why they wanted to create this technology. It's honestly kind of pointless. But basically, it would crawl the internet and it would find the most shared and most popular HD GIFs, GIFs, whatever, on the internet that day. And they built this thing and then they would spend hours making the search. So if you just typed in one letter, it would autofill with like things that you could search, like GIFs. Like if you typed in like the word C, it would autofill with cats. And then like the search would just pop up. And I remember we'd be like staring at the computer with them just saying like, look how much faster it is. And it was like, you can't even tell like, you know, how much faster it was from the previous time. But they would like, nerd it out over this. And they launched this thing and it did okay. It did okay. It did okay. And then one day we get into the office and they've stayed there all night. And they like slept underneath the table, that their desk, I remember. And I remember like Dave had bought them pizza because like they were working the whole time. And we were like, what's going on, Raj? Like, why is this, why is this happening? And their website was called The Worst Drug, which is pretty hilarious. It's called TheWorstDrug.tv, I think. Basically, <laughs> some porn guys got a hold of it. And the, it, like, they, he, they somehow, I don't know how it worked, but the most shared gifts on the web are almost all porn. And so they like disabled <laughs> like the not safe for work feature, and it was all porn. And we get to the office, and they had this fancy setup, like this, the, a huge monitor. And it was the highest def porn you I've ever seen. And you click like space and it would autofill with like a new porn GIF. And and like at first you're like, I used this by the way. I remember seeing yeah. it. It went viral like in 2014 or something. It was like somebody shared it in our IRC. They were like, this is a crazy website. And it was like full screen HD immediate like porn. And you're like, whoa, and you touch any key and it just reloads another one instantaneously. I was like, whoa, yeah. what's going on? It was like TikTok I remember, before TikTok. <laughs> so basically, there was like eight of us, eight guys, and like we were gathered around this computer. And at first, we were like shocked. It was like hardcore porn, like shock, shocking porn that would go viral or like, like people like click on. And like the whole porn thing, we got past it. And then we were like, wow, that's really high def. Look at that. Like, oh, if you click space, <laughs> like it really it loads so fast. And there were just eight of us like gathered around us. And Tim Westerton, I the founder of I can see the hair porn, on his thigh. <laughs> yeah, it was crazy. It was disgusting. And Tim Westerton and his assistant, I forget her name, but they, I was supposed to interview them in preparation because they were speaking at HustleCon and I told them to come to the office well, and they walk into He's the, the office. Of Pandora. Yeah, the founder of Pandora. They walk into the office and there's eight of us gathered around this screen, just like staring <laughs> intensely at this porn. Like, wow, good, good job, Raj. Like when you type in C, it really autofills like really quickly. Like, you know, like this is amazing. And they walk in and I'm like, oh, hey, what's going on? You guys want to see something? Check out this technology. Like it was <laughs> and they had uh, like millions of people a day coming to the website 
overnight and they slept there at the office for weeks trying to like right. you know do something with the server to keep up with the traffic and like increase the speed just a little bit and eventually something happened where like someone in Romania offered to buy it they flew there and it turns out that it was like some gangsters and then they like all had like guns on them and they came back and it was like a whole, whole ordeal but that's the one time that I really saw product market fit work so I've heard stories like that like uh when Instagram launched it was kind of the same thing they like they launched it they put it out in the wild you know first hour was pretty slow or whatever the guys kind of go to sleep they wake up and like or like not even they go to sleep it was like late at night and it was early in the morning in japan and the app had started to go viral in japan and so they were like dude what are all these like why are there only pictures of tea and it's like oh this is in japan people are having tea in the morning and they're taking instagram pictures of it and they had like twenty five thousand people downloaded that first or second day and uh, the servers like you know basically melting and like pretty quickly the only problem became how do we get more server capacity it's like, oh, you, you stop thinking about features. You stop thinking about the logo. You stop thinking about names. You stop thinking about hiring. It's like, all I think about is like, how do I add more servers? And so actually I started to realize that there is this there's a test, the simplest test of product market fit, because people have tried to come up with these tests before. In fact, um, there's a kind of famous Silicon Valley one, which is you survey your users, um, this thing, which is if our product went away, if you could no longer use our product, how would you feel? Very disappointed, somewhat disappointed, or not disappointed? And the idea was if 40% or more say very disappointed, you have product market fit. It sounds good in theory. It's sort of like, yeah, it's like, pretty it's like astrology. Though. It's like giving you a way to have this answer to this like mystical yeah. question. And uh, Mark Andreessen said this thing. He goes, product market fit is like sex. If, you th if you're asking if you have it, you're not having it. And like, you know, I think that's more real uh which is like there isn't this 40 percent survey number you can't survey your way to finding out you'll know because it kind of hits you like a punch in the face and so what i've seen is that the people who really have it like their thing is going to go supernova they only care about two things those two things are if it's a tech product hiring more servers and if it's any kind of product hiring customer customer support people and if anytime I meet a founder now who's like, yeah, dude, I just really need, you know, any good like customer support people are like, where do I find more support people? Or like, hey, do you know how I can get like AWS credits? I'm like running up a crazy bill. I'm like, uh, let me invest first. And then also, yes, let me help you with that. Because I know when that happens, that is the, almost the truest sign of product market fit. It is the survey you don't need to go do with your customers. When a founder stops thinking about features, stops thinking about like future plans and marketing and you know, company culture and everything else. And they're like, dude, the shit is melting. So I asked Michael Birch, who was my, my former boss and then became my investor at my uh, idea lab. And, you know, Michael had basically sold Bebo for $850 million. And I wanted to know like, and he had struggled before that for three, three and a half years to like make something work. And so I asked him, I was like, you know, what was it like kind of before, before and like, you know, when the turning point happened, like, did you, were you just feeling like so good once it, once it clearly started to work? He was like, well, he kind of described the boulder pushing up the hill thing. He's like, well, before when I was like, I quit my job, we had two kids and a third on the way. We had mortgaged our house. And like I had told my wife, give me six months to try this. And now I was three years in and I still hadn't figured out anything that worked. But I felt like I was getting closer and closer. He's like, that was hard. I felt like I was pushing the boulder up the hill. Then with Bebo, we... Like I finally put together all the pieces. I knew that social networking was a good product, to, like a good category. Like this is before Facebook. Like I knew that social networking was going to be big. 
people were going to talk to other people on the internet. They were going to have profiles and comment on each other's pages. I just felt like that was true. And then I knew how to grow it, which was like these viral, like kind of fill in your profile quizzes and share it with your friends. I knew how to grow it. And like, so I, I, I launched the thing. He goes in nine days, we hit a million users. And he's like, back then wow. a million users was like so huge on the internet. He's like, he's like, you know, nine days later, none of them came back. I had a retention problem, but he's like, I knew that I had like something that could light fire. So I turned it off and I started working on the retention to like give you a reason to come back every day. He's like, I knew this is going to work. He's like, and then, then when it worked, he's like, I didn't feel like this immense joy. Like, yay, I finally overcame it. He's like, I felt even more pressure. He's like, dude, now this is actually, you finally did it. Don't F this up. Like this can actually be valuable. Don't mess this up. He's like, that became a whole new level of pressure and like burden that I felt. And he's like, I worked so hard. And I think after they sold like what are four years in or something like that, I think he had like major heart surgery, like five months later, because he had been like, so working so hard and under so much stress and pressure that whole time. I'm sure that could contribute to something like that. But when he described that, I was like, okay, so I've never felt that. Like I've never felt anything that you just described. That means I've never felt the like the violent version of product market fit when that like a billion dollar company feels. So what did Brian Armstrong and, um, say? Uh, he didn't say what it feels. He didn't define it as much. He was just, he had said basically some, something along the lines of, you know, um, you know, you're making something that people want and, um, you know, the, you know, there's like, you know, whatever true demand for it. He says something sort of general like that. But I, Dude, the, I've been thinking it, about how do you know? Because that's so general that you're going to be optimistic and think you have it when you don't because, God, it would feel so good to have it. And man, it really sucks to not have it. So you're always kind of like squinting and looking for these like, this evidence. And what Brian said was, he goes, he goes, my lucky thing was that I wasn't a big analyzer or a big thinker. I was just like, action produces information. So I would just do a thing and I'd produce some information like, oh, people want this or they don't want this or they want it, but there's something wrong with it. Um, like the, the, the Bebo thing where, oh, they it grew, but they didn't stick around. Okay. But that produced information. That first nine days produced a lot of information. And so he's like, but okay, I built this wrong, but now I know what's wrong with it. So let me do another round. And like, he's like, action produces information. So as a founder, like just focus on the action part and like, it, it'll either hit for you or, or it won't, but like action is really the only way you're going to get to it. And like, you know, smart action, meaning you take action, then you sort of like accurately assess what's working and what's not so that you're not taking blind action. Have you ever thought about the logistics of that though? So Coinbase uh, there was this article a couple years ago written about them when they were when I think in 18 or 19 when like the first cycle was happening and they're saying how like they've torn down walls at their office like just because they don't have enough space and like they, they people needed to be in the same oh. room to like shout at one another and then they're like we're also just taking meetings uh, in the park I, I, I forget where their office was but it was where near where you and I lived in San Francisco and they'd be like yeah we're taking meetings in the park because there's just physically not enough space and if you think about the logistics of it, you basically have this idea and this small thing in 2015 or 16 or whatever. And so right now they're at, I think, 4,000 employees, which means they've probably hired six or 7,000 if you count for turnover. And if there's, you know, 360 days in a year or whatever it is, 350 days a year, that's like you're basically adding 10 to 20 people a day in headcount every single yeah. day <laughs> for three years. It's pretty wild. That's wild, it's right? Insane. In order to add 10 or 30 people a day or whatever... You, and that's not even like that much compared to like a Facebook or a Google, but like the, the, that means that you got to talk to yeah, like a thousand people five, a day. Five times, 10 times more. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, he says it's, that in the thing. He, he goes, 
we have, I think he said 3000 people now he goes, but, and I, he's like, I personally, I think was involved in the hiring of maybe the first, like, I forgot what he said, like 300 or 500. He's like, but then to hire those 300, 500, I had to talk to maybe three or 5,000 people. So he's like, so I've done a lot of interviewing now and I have a good it's idea crazy. of like, if you think how about I like, like the interview, he's like, I got totally burnt out from it. If you just think like, all right, how are we going to get everyone a laptop or, um, how do we like make everything sure that breaks. like everything yeah. breaks? It's crazy. There's, Have you ever experienced that th firsthand? Not that, but I I've heard stories again. I've heard stories, and that's how I know I didn't have product market fit. Even when I thought I had it, and growth is happening. I've only ever felt it one time with Blab when our servers kept melting down, and it was in, during a period where we went from about zero to two million users in like a six month period, and like we just kept like our vendors' servers were going down. Then we're like, shit, what do we do? Like, dude, how is Talkbox going down? How is Cloudflare, you know, going down? What's what's going on here? Like, it was like, and we were also getting DDoS attacked and shit like that. But but basically, yeah, it was that's the only time I've sort of felt it. But that was like, you know, a very brief window of time. The there's this guy Dan Rose. I don't know if you follow him on Twitter. He was like a very yeah, he was like number at, three uh, number three guy Amazon at Facebook or something. Yeah, he was very early at Amazon. Maybe like first fifty or hundred people. Uh, I was a guess something like that, but he was early, early days. Like he was around when the dot com bust happened, right? So 99, 2000, 2001 time period. Then he went to Facebook and he was, he ended up being like the number three guy at Facebook behind Zuck and Cheryl. And um, so, anyways, he shares these war stories from the, from back then. He says these things that, again, you don't feel unless you're building one of these like, you know, Thunder Lizard type companies that are just like these Godzillas. And he's like, yeah, at Amazon, he's like, we used to just, do meetings in the stairwell because there was just no like we ran out of desk space we, were, we started putting two people at every desk that didn't even work i was just working out of a stairwell for like a three-month period I was like, just imagine like he's like yeah i just took my laptop and just sat there on the top stair and i was just like somebody would be walking by and be like hey hey uh for that thing we're launching tomorrow like hey, can we and i just walk with them down the stairs while we talk and that was our meeting and so he shares these stories about like what it was like his twitter follow his twitter is a, is a good follow for sure did i ever tell you uh did i ever tell you about the airbnb cafeteria no. So uh, when Sarah, my wife works there and I used to go to the office because my office was right next door to it for dinner time all the time. Basically, they had this beautiful office and every office or meeting room is made to look like a popular Airbnb, like, you know, thing you could rent. And it's like this beautiful office, you know, Brian and Joe, they're like designers. So every, and everything like in their office looks exactly like that. And they're cafeteria can you know seat three or feed three thousand people or whatever however many people they have there and their whole shtick was every single item was made there at the office so right. the red bull they had like airbnb bowl the ketchup the mayonnaise made right there the trail mix like they made they, they made everything 100 percent, except for the beer i think that's the only thing that they didn't make but besides that if you consumed it it's like they didn't have doritos you couldn't get a coke in that office it was all made right there on the spot. And I remember thinking like this company, just that in itself is like a pretty amazing feat. And that's not even close to being like their thing. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. That's like, that's, a, not, yeah. their, that's not their thing. This is that, logistics. You know, that's their version of, of lunch. That's yeah, it's lunch just break. table stakes to get people to work there. And I remember like thinking like, how on earth do you pull that off? Because like just uh, literally five years ago or maybe three years ago, I had interviewed there and it was... 200 people and it was like an okay office but it, it, it that, that alone i remember seeing that and i was like this is just amazing this is this is absolutely ridiculous dude i had the same experience i went to um 
Zynga's office back when Zynga was like, you know, still Airbnb hot. used to share an office with them, I believe, by the way, I went to that Zynga office as well. So, and that office is crazy. First you walk in and there's like a tunnel to enter. Like you remember that tunnel, the light, the lit up tunnel. So it's like you walk in, yeah. it's an led tunnel. So you feel like you're entering a special, you feel like you're entering a spaceship of some kind, or like, you know, you're walking out into a stadium and uh, then there's just dogs everywhere. I was like, oh, well, do people have allergies here? How is this allowed? It's like, oh, yeah, no, we're just, it's, it's like this free, free land. And yeah. I met, uh, we met the chef, this guy, Matt, um, Matthew, I think it's Dutrumble was, was his name. It just sounds like a chef name. And so he was like, yeah, let me give you a tour. And so he was the one who brought us into the office. I was like, okay. Uh, he's like, yeah, I'll give you like the kitchen tour. And I was like, okay, cool. This will take like, you know, two minutes and then we'll go see the other thing. And like the kitchen tour took an hour because it was the exact same thing. He goes, he goes, so this is our staff. He goes, everything that you eat here is made on premise. And I was like, okay. He's like, see that? Like, I was like, you guys have like a, he's like, you want anything to drink? I was like, yeah, I'll take like a sparkling water or whatever. He's like, cool. It's on tap here. And it was their fizzy water. I was like, you make your own fizzy water? He's like, yeah, we make our own seltzers, ciders, beers. They made everything. He's like, um, yeah, this like, you know, the salad here, like we grow all the, the, like we have a micro farm on the roof. That's crazy. And so like this mushroom was grown here. This like arugula is grown here. It's all a circular system. I was like, what? And then he's like, um, I was like, but what about the, you don't have like animals for like, uh, you know, uh, he's like, no, 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 we do get animals, but we get the full animals. So he opens up the walk-in fridge and there's just cow cows hanging upside down, full cows. And I was like, what is this? And he's like, yeah, we break down the entire carcass and we like, you know, use every bit of it for our things. I was like, you in what army, dude? He's like, oh, we have 45 people in our chef. That's crazy. Like, executive, like, I'm the executive chef and we have 45 people on our team. I was like, you have, I don't have 45 people in my company. You have 45 people on the lunch team. And I was like, this is just absurd. It was insane. And I was like, wow, the arms race for like, you know, pampering tech, tech things and like building this like culture of you're building something special was, you know, kind of amazing, to be honest. It was, it was really amazing. I, I, I was blown away by that. I have cows on my at my ranch on my Airbnb property, and I've we have like eighteen of them or something like that. And I've and you know they butcher them, so they like every year they send away like four or five, and then I see the new ones being born. And I thought it'd be cool to get a freezer out there, and you like pay twenty bucks, and you could get a steak, and be like, yeah, this cow is you know like the mother of the one that you see right in front of the <laughs> off, like yeah, like on the you know because you could sit on the porch and like watch yeah, the cows would come up. That's to too sad for me. And uh, it was too sad for me. I couldn't do it. I need I, like uh, distance from it. I need to like, I, I, ignorance is bliss for me when, when it comes to eating meat. Yeah, I didn't end up doing it because I was like, this is just TMI. I can't handle it because right. I like, I see these guys playing and I get to know them and they get to know me. And I was like, oh, fuck. Right. I'm not nearly as tough as I thought. I know. Should, all right. Should we wrap it or because uh, they're yeah. like, are you uh, paying by the minute now? Uh, your surcharge here, your, your studio? Because I'm uh, free uh, here in my studio. Um, yeah, well, uh, you know, Ben's still getting used to like the logistics of this. So, uh, I'll just leave it at that. But I think, I think our, our time is up. What do you think? Okay. Do you, are, are you inspired now to look better or you still don't give a shit? I am very inspired. The inspiration isn't the problem. The, uh, the, uh, skill to do it is the problem to like upgrade it's my just, own space. That's going to give, it's going to like do it. Do you use that room for anything? I use it for, for this and I, my wife works out of here too. So, but, but we can use it for however we want. It's an office yeah. though, right? It's like, yeah, a, it's, an it's a, well, like, just like, it'll look like a CNN newsroom. Just have her in the background, like working, like it'll <laughs> look fine. They just make it look a little pretty. They'll put some of this crap on there. Dude, send them. I'm open to it. The door's open. Ring the doorbell. All right. Well, 
I guess that's the pod. We'll see if this uh, actually changes anything, but it might. It might.